0: Up into the temple and taught, and the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God, or whether I speak of myself. He that speaketh of himself speaketh his own glory, but he that speaketh his glory, that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness in him. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keepeth the law? Why do ye about to kill me? And so, uh, verse 20, the people call him a devil. These are the Pharisees, these are the scorners. Today we're going to look at this title, uh, our last sermon in our Engage series, Engaging the Scorner. The Scorner. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd help us today. Uh, in all of our lives, there are those people that hate you, that hate this book that we hold in our hands. They hate what the Bible stands for. And Lord, uh, they they don't like us spreading our message of truth. And God, this is the most difficult crowd to know how to handle when it comes to sharing the gospel. Lord, I pray that we would study how you handled that crowd, and it would inspire us. Lord, some of us need to be injected with boldness and courage. And Lord, we don't need to cower when someone challenges us. We need to stand for what's right. I pray today the sermon would serve as an encouragement to all of us to do a better job of that. Lord, there might be someone in the crowd here today that does not know you as your Savior. There may be someone today sitting at home or or just outside of the walls of our church watching on a screen somehow, some way our service, that may not know salvation. Lord, I pray today they would know that. God, I can't think of a more tragic thing than for someone to participate in one of our services and then die and go to hell. Oh God, may that not be so. May the gospel be thundered out, may souls be saved, and may the saved be encouraged. In Jesus' name, Amen. You can be seated. John chapter 7, Jesus um, is probably at the lowest point of His ministry. If He had not been God, He would have been about as low and discouraged as a person could be. the end of John chapter 6, we, we studied last week how that the multitudes... The multitudes were offended at Jesus' sermon, and they turned and they left. And Jesus turned to his twelve, and I believe with maybe a hint of discouragement in his voice, he said to them, will ye also go away? And then Simon Peter said to the Lord, he said, to whom shall we go? He said, thou hast the words of eternal life. Matthew, the same account we find where he actually says that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Outside of these twelve disciples, nobody wants anything to do with Jesus. So Jesus turns to his blood, his family. He turns to those who um, uh, those who know him well, those who grew up with him. He goes to see his family in the beginning of John chapter seven, and his brothers mock him. They mock him. They say, "You're not really who you say you are," and uh, and and they would not believe in him. Verse 5, if you can look there at John chapter 7 to verse 5, it says, For neither did his brethren believe in him. And so Jesus has gone from being one of the most popular, famous people in the world to now only having 13 people believe in him. Really, only 12. The 12 disciples minus Judas would be 11. And probably the only other person that believed in him was his mom. If mom stops believing in you, you're in trouble. (laughs) Um... I don't know about you, i would be discouraged. And the, his brothers are pushing him to go to the feast. And he says, I can't go, my time's not yet come. Well, Jesus would end up going, but he would go under disguise. Now, to me, this is humorous. The part about him being rejected and denied and, and, and everyone turning their back on him, that part's sad. But Jesus going up in costume, to me, is funny. He uh, he disfigured his countenance in some way. I don't know if he put on uh, one of those uh, you know glue-on mustaches. Maybe he had coke bottle rimmed glasses. Maybe he um, he uh, he changed his hairstyle. Um, uh, maybe I, maybe he shaved his beard. I, who knows what he did? But when he got to Jerusalem and he stood up in the synagogue and began to preach and teach. Um, to skeptical people and scorners, they did not know who he was. In fact, the passage we read there, uh, verse number 16, uh, rather verse, I'm sorry, look down at verse number 20, the people answered and said, thou, uh, thou hast a devil uh, uh, who goest about to kill thee. They didn't even know who he was. Anyway, you know he was. Verse 15, the Jews marveled saying, uh, how knoweth this man letters having never learned? Who is this guy? Now, they knew who Jesus was. In fact, earlier in the chapter, they're seeking him to catch him and kill him. But when he stands up amongst them, they have no idea who he was. That must have been quite the disguise. Throughout our engaged series, we have seen that Jesus is engaged all different sorts of people from all different sorts of life. His his mantra has been, his motive has been to get them the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. And boy, I can't think of a better thing to get someone. I can't think of a better thing to give someone the Gospel of Jesus Christ. John chapter 3, you can put that next slide up there. John chapter 3, Jesus engaged Nicodemus. He engaged the biblical scholar Nicodemus and there uh, He talked to Nicodemus about being born again and Nicodemus was born again. He received everlasting life. Uh, John chapter 4, Jesus engaged the woman at the well who had been divorced five times and was living in sin with another man. He engaged the sinner. He told her about the drinking of the living water of eternal life. And the woman left her water pot having not drunk of the physical water, but the uh, living water figuratively of eternal life. She left her water pot and she went and told the people of Samaria. John chapter 5, Jesus comes into Jerusalem and there is a man laying sick by the pool of Bethesda. And the man has been laying there for many, many years. He's been uh, an, an impotent man for many years or a crippled man for many years. And Jesus engages this sick man And this man gets saved. John chapter 6, we looked at it last week. Jesus comes up to a skeptical man, or rather a skeptical group of people. They wanted to works, do the works so they could believe. They thought that salvation was based on their works. And Jesus said, no, you want to do the works of the Father, then you must first believe you must first believe they couldn't get past that they couldn't accept it the first three groups of people we looked at the scholar the sinner the sick the three individuals there they got saved they trusted christ but the skeptics said no said no i'm thankful that here at white oak baptist church on a weekly basis souls get saved Yesterday, that I know of, two people were saved. I had the opportunity last night, late last night, to give the gospel to a man at length. He did not bow his head and pray and trust. I wasn't going to twist his arm and force him through a prayer, uh, but I was able to give him the gospel at length. And uh, every week, every week, somebody as a result of this ministry is making a profession of faith. They're putting their trust in Jesus Christ. Now, i got to say that uh, you may not like everything about our church There may be some things that bug you or bother you. Listen, uh, this church is never gonna make everybody happy. It's impossible to do that. But, I gotta say that this church sees people saved every week. And for that reason alone, that makes this church a good reason to come here and worship the Lord in this church. So, praise the Lord for the salvation of souls, uh, of man. John chapter 6, Jesus engaged the skeptical. John 7 we'll look at today. Jesus engages The Pharisees. The Pharisees were scorners. They were scorners. Um, What is a scorner? That's not a word we use in everyday English. That's more of a Bible word. The scorners, the Pharisees, they loved the attention and the accolades. They loved uh, uh, sitting in high places and getting all the love from the people. But the truth is, their religion was phony and vain. It was phony and vain. And these Pharisees had duped the crowds, but Jesus knew exactly who they were. Um, I guess one word to describe Jesus' relationship with the Pharisees was adversarial, right? Right? He attacked them at every turn. Now, I believe Jesus probably gave the Gospel more to the Pharisees than any other group, but He usually wasn't doing it in a kind, a gentle tone. It was usually in attack mode. Adversarial. The relationship Jesus had, maybe another word would be hostile, hostile. He was hostile toward this crowd. Why was Jesus so hostile toward these scorners? Why was He so adversarial with them? The reason was because they were uh, uh, pretending as though they were leading people to follow His Father, but they were really leading people astray and that drove him nuts let me ask you a question do you know any scorners do you know any scorners you know that guy or gal at work that um, cusses and takes God's name in vain a little extra when you're around just to spite you because you're a Christian you know what I'm talking about how many of you have ever worked with somebody like that my hands up how many of you have worked with somebody like that I've worked around people that way um how about um, that relative at family reunions? You know, the one that seeks you out to argue religion with you, just to get under your skin and make a scene? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm sure some of you in here have that relative scorner. They really don't want to have anything to do with your religion. They just want to get under your skin and give you a hard time. How about that neighbor? That neighbor that cannot stand you because you put signs in your yard about Jesus and loving God. That neighbor that can't stand you because every Sunday you head off to church and and, and he feels guilty for the way he lives and so he takes that out on you. That scorner. Now, sometimes scorners are non-religious. they're they scorners. They're full-blown scorners. They're not trying to hide it. They just flat out can't stand you and they can't stand your causes and they're wicked and they have no problem admitting they're wicked. They boast about their wickedness and they're just non-religious, God-defying, God-hating scorners. But there are scorners that are religious. There are scorners that are religious. I would say that the Pharisees, they were saying most of the right things. They just weren't doing them. They were whited sepulchers. On the outside, filled with dead men's bones on the inside. They were religious. All over uh, this country and all over the world today, there will be churches that open their doors. But inwardly, inside those walls, are scorners. are scorners. I'll take it a step further. There are Baptist churches that will open their doors today. There are Baptist pastors that will stand up in the pulpit. And that church, including its pastor, is filled with scorners. They will preach an angry message. They will be unkind and nasty to all kinds of people. They will preach a hate-filled sermon. And my friend, the Bible says that the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Scorners. Scorners. There are non-religious and there are religious scorners. Today, we're going to see how Christ handled the scorners. You say, Pastor, listen, that crowd, they're so bold, and they're so mean, and they're so nasty in the way they treat me as a Christian. Pastor, how do I handle that? And by the way, if you don't have anybody like that in your life, you will. You will. Right? Get around a little more. They're out there. They're all over the place. Pastor, how do I handle them, and how do I go about doing that without being in the flesh? Now, we'll see just how we can handle people who are adversarial to the good news of Jesus Christ and our lifestyles by looking out the way that Jesus did it. Let's run through four thoughts today about how to engage a scorner. I'm going to spend more time on point one than I will any of the rest. So as you're watching the clock and you still see I'm on point one, don't get nervous. okay? Point number one is this, the characteristics of a scorner. The characteristics of a scorner. By the way, it's a good idea to not watch your clock while you're at church. Just put it away. It's funny we can watch a three hour football game, but if the preacher goes more than forty minutes, we're like <laughs> movies take two hours and twenty minutes, two hours and ten minutes, and you watch the whole movie and you get to the end and you go, Where did the time go? I hope you do that when you come to church. This is um, three hours a week, maybe at the most. Just give yourself put the clock away, look, your stomach starts grumbling, you're not gonna die. Jesus went 40 days a night without food. If the Methodists get in front of you at the buffet line, you'll be okay. Alright? You'll survive. So, I try to be conscious of the time, but it's just a good idea to put the clock away. When I was a kid, cell phones weren't around and people would wear watches. And we had an evangelist come in one time and he said, Every time I see someone glance down at their watch, I'm going to add five minutes to the sermon. I don't know if anybody looked at their watch, but I think he went for like an hour and a half. And I was watching the clock, amen? Not my watch, I was watching the the clock on the wall. He probably saw me turning around looking at the clock, that's why he was adding more time. (laughs) Uh, Number one, let's look at the characteristics of a scorner. The characteristics of a scorner. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 28 with me, and if you have a Bible, I'm going to ask everybody to turn over there, because these are the two verses in the Bible that are the most descriptive about a scorner. Now, if you're in my Sunday school class, we've looked at these verses before in my class, I'm going to make some applications today that I didn't make in in class, and so uh, everyone turn over there and look at uh, uh, how the Bible describes a scorner. I think this is important, especially because it's not a word we use in our everyday uh, verbiage here in 2017. So, the Bible goes out of its way to describe the characteristics of one. Verse fourteen there says, "Wherefore hear the word of the Lord." Twenty eight fourteen. Hear the word of the Lord, ye scornful men. Here's the description that rule this people which is in Jerusalem, because ye have said we have made a covenant with death, and with hell are we in agreement. Uh, When the overflowing scourge shall pass through it, uh, through it shall not come unto us, for we have made lies our refuge and under falsehood have we hit ourselves? Alright, I'm going to quickly, out of these verses, I'm going to give you an A, B, C, D, and an E. So I'm going to give you five sub-points here that describe the scorner. And we're going to look at how the Pharisees fit every single one of these. Okay. Letter A, first notice they desire authority. They desire authority. Look back up at verse 14 there. It says, Wherefore, hear the word of the Lord, ye scornful men, that rule this people which is in Jerusalem. Rule this people which is in Jerusalem. Now listen to what Matthew chapter twenty three, verse two says about these scorners, the Pharisees. It says, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' See, You know what that means? They have found a position of authority. A little bit further, Jesus is describing them. He says in verse 6, and love, speaking to the Pharisees, love the uppermost room at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the market and to be called of men, Rabbi! Rabbi! They're all about a position. They're all about a title. They're all about authority. They want authority. And i got to say this morning that scorners love authority. They love it. Uh, if you go back Back into the Old Testament and you look at the kings, okay? Uh, Saul was chosen to be the first king and what he was chosen, he was a humble, prudent man. And what happened was his heart became lifted up in pride and he went from being a prudent guy to being a very scornful man. And God, in his scornful actions, God took him and cast him and his family lineage off the throne and what did he do? He raised up David. Now, David wasn't perfect, right? He had his indiscretions. We know about Bathsheba. We know about numbering the people. We know about some other things David did wrong. David was that just man that fell but got back up, right? That Proverbs describes. David was a prudent man and a man who sought after God's own heart. But what happened after David? After David, we had Solomon, again a good king, not quite as godly as his dad, but a good king. Had again had his indiscretions, made some bad decisions, uh, I definitely did some things that were sinful. Uh, but after da- after Solomon came Rehoboam and Jeroboam, which the country split with, and Rehoboam uh, took part and Jeroboam took part, and those two men were scorners. For scorners why because scorners always eventually rise to the top a scorner seeks out authority a scorner seeks to be the, the, the head the president of the class in school the scorner seeks to be the mayor of the city the scorner seeks to be the police chief the scorner seeks to be the fire commissioner the scorner seeks to be a judge the scorner seeks to be the president the scorner seeks to hold position in Congress scorners rise to the top. You wonder why no empire, world empire has ever lasted forever? Because eventually, scorners have risen to a position of authority, and they have sown falsehoods and lies in through their politics, and eventually, that nation has been toppled by the politics, the falsehood, the lies of that scorner. Do you know why every single divinity school, every single Bible college eventually either shuts down or goes left? because eventually scorners rise to the top. How many of you here have ever heard of Tennessee Temple University? Would you raise your hand you've heard of Tennessee Temple University? Great school. Lee Robertson. How about Lee Robertson? Maybe you didn't know Tennessee Temple University. Lee Robertson was uh, the pastor at Highland Park Baptist Church at, uh, in the fifties, uh, I believe it was fifties, sixties, seventies, somewhere in there. And he built the largest Sunday school in America during his time. And then he started a very great Bible college called Tennessee Temple, it was turning out men that that love the Lord and and turned out great pastors. Pastor King is a pastor of Tennessee Temple. Uh, the school school eventually started to go left because scorners rose to the top in the authority. Do you know where Tennessee Temple is today? It's not. It's not. You know why? Because eventually, scorners seek out authority and shut things down. How about Yale? How about Harvard? How about Princeton? Ivy League schools, right? They are... They are propaganda leftist machines. Do you know what they used to be? Used to be divinity schools. Scorners love authority. They raise to the top and then they move it left until it crumbles. Until it crumbles. America is beginning to topple. Why? Because scorners have taken over a lot of our authority positions. And I'm not here to call out anybody's name. Uh, both uh, either current or past. But nevertheless... They desire authority. i got to say today that if you work with a crowd of kids or you oversee a group of people, listen, you cannot please a scorner. You cannot change a scorner by giving them a position of authority. They want that authority, but I promise you, their mindset, their goal is to undermine you. And they will do it all day long. The boss that takes a scorner and, and puts him in charge is a boss that will eventually be out on the road looking for a new job or a boss who will be sat le- left licking his wounds after he has finally expelled the scorner. Letter A, the desire authority. Letter B, notice they are bound by a covenant. They're bound by a covenant. Look at verse 15. It says, because ye have said, we have made a covenant with Death. A covenant with death. Let me read for you John 7, verse 25. In fact, if you can uh, flip back over to John chapter 7, look at verse 25. Then said some of them of Jerusalem, Is this not He whom they seek to kill? They're looking up at Jesus in His disguise, in His... Costume in 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 his uh, hiding behind uh, whatever uh, disguise he had come up with, and the crowds there in the synagogue say, "Wait a minute! He teaches just like Jesus. Is this not he whom they seek to kill?" Notice that they had made a covenant with death. The Pharisees had made a covenant amongst themselves: "We will see Jesus die." You might remember Paul, right? When uh, Paul was uh, 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 walking the earth and ministering, there was a group of Pharisees group of scribes that said we're not going to eat until he's dead how many remember that story I think it was his nephew that uncovered the whole thing and uh, and they ended up rushing Paul out of town as he was under arrest to save his life they made a covenant with death. Uh, how about Matthew chapter 26 verse 14 Then one of the twelve called Jews to it. Notice the wording here. I believe this is on purpose to, to follow up on Isaiah twenty eight fifteen. Then one of the twelve called Jews to carry it. One of the chief priests and said unto them, What will ye give me? And I will deliver them unto you. And they covenanted with him for thirty pieces of silver. They covenanted with him. The Bible says scorners make a covenant with death. They made a covenant to see Jesus died. Scorners, uh, uh, they're bent on death. They're bent on doing things that bring about death. Letter C, we see they take pleasure in darkness. They take pleasure in darkness. John chapter 3, listen to this about darkness and light. Remember, the scorner is the antithesis of Jesus. Jesus stands for truth. The scorner stands for lying. John chapter 3 verse 19, and this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world. Speaking of Jesus, "...and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light." lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. What Jesus was saying here is that every time light comes into a dark room, there's people that just don't like it. They can't stand it. They enjoy their darkness. You know what? Where there is darkness, you cannot see dirt. You cannot see grime. You cannot see clutter. You cannot see a mess. But you turn on the light and it is And those that don't want to admit they have a problem, they shun the light. They push it away. They don't want it around. Doesn't that sound like the Pharisees? Every time Jesus would get around them, oh boy, they didn't like Jesus. They didn't like Him. And you know what? The Pharisees would say things like, why doth your master eat with sinners? Jesus would use a parable. And you know what? When Jesus finished His parable, they would walk away licking their wounds. Because He would just own them. I remember one parable Jesus told where he said uh, that a father had two sons and he said to the oldest, "Go do this." And the young man said, "No, I'm not going to do it." But then later repent and went and did it. And he said to the other son, "Go do this." And that son said, "I'm going to do it," and he didn't go do it. He said, "Which of those sons pleased the father?" And he said, "Well, the the, the son that said he wouldn't do it and wouldn't and, and, and then went and did it." And he said, "So is it with the publicans and the sinners because they start out on the wrong path and they do what's right." You all act like you're going to do right, and then you do what's wrong. And they would walk away licking their wounds because Jesus was that light. And they, the scorners, they take pleasure in darkness. They take pleasure in darkness. I remember growing up to a Christian school, there were scorners in our Christian schools. No matter every school I was in, uh, you, you can't get rid of all of them. There's are scorners in, in any large group of people. And they would sit around in the locker room and they would tell dirty jokes. You say, they're a Christian school? Yep. They would uh, they would make fun of every single teacher they could. They would make fun of every mannerism they could. Every idiosyncrasy they could find, they'd make fun of it. They'd put them down. They'd mock. Why? Because they, they, they take pleasure in darkness. They take pleasure in darkness. They love sin. When uh, we think of religious people that are scorners, they'll hide it at church and then they'll go enjoy it when no one's around. But how about the people that aren't religious? Oh, they'll just flaunt it. Yeah, i got a problem. I, yeah, I do this, but what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Yeah, I drink. So what? I smoke. So what? There's nothing wrong with smoking. There's nothing wrong with drinking. Yeah, I I go about and I party. What's the big deal? I I dress provocatively. Who cares? I listen to uh, bad music. Isn't it great? Isn't it wonderful? I don't think it's that bad. I think it's art and I enjoy it. Why? Because they take pleasure in darkness. This is what scorners do. Listen, that guy at work who likes to cuss in front of you just to make a scene, probably he comes to work talking about all the filthy things he did over the weekend. And he goes in great detail just to spite you, just to scorn you. You. I, I remember uh, when I was a Bible college student working my way through college, uh, I worked a, a, a truck dock job driving a forklift in and out of trucks in the Chicago cold and um, I, I remember uh, uh, there's a boy named Nick, I've talked about him before, but Nick loved to curse his, his favorite letter, uh, rather his favorite word started with the fifth or sixth letter of the alphabet and he would just throw it out all the time, all the time, all the time and it seemed like the, the more he was around us, the more he'd use it. There's another boy named Steve who, who, uh, loved to talk about all the girls that he had been with and he'd come to church and talk about it in great detail. There's another guy there named Fred. Fred was nice to us for the most part, but he would go out of his way to, to go into great detail about all the girls that he could, uh, uh, catch at the bar and what he could do with them. And, and what were they doing? They were taking pleasure in darkness. This is what scorners do. Letter D, we see they have a false sense of security. They have a false sense of security. Look back at Isaiah, rather, chapter twenty-eight, verse fifteen. There, right there uh, in the middle of the verse, it says, "And will and with hell we are at agreement. When the overflowing, watch this. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come upon us. When the overflowing scourge, when that punishment comes through." We won't get it. Somehow we can beat it. I can smoke as many cigarettes as I want. I won't get cancer. I can drink all the alcohol I want. I'm not going to get cirrhosis of the liver. I can be as lustful with my eyes as I want. It won't affect my marriage. Oh, I can escape the consequences. I, I can beat it. I I can uh, I I can act however I want to, and there will be no consequences involved. You know, when you make that uh, covenant with death and uh, you uh, uh, you take pleasure in darkness, it leads you to do some very strange things. I think about the Pharisees, Matthew chapter twenty-seven, verse thirty-nine through forty-three. We find the chief priests and the scribes walking in front of a crucified Jesus, wagging their heads, mocking Him, saying this, saying, He saved others, but Himself He cannot save. If Thou be the Christ, the Son of God, come down from that tree. You know what they were doing? You know what they were doing? They were living with a false sense of security. We can do whatever we want, We won't have to pay the consequences. Funny enough, John chapter 3, these same Pharisees, through the mouth of Nicodemus, claimed that they knew that he was of God. And now they're wagging their head. Now they're wagging their head. They have a false sense of security. This is the kid that thinks that he can sneak out of his room at night, be out all night and come home and and escape consequences. This is the, this is the young man that thinks that because he's told a lie and gotten away with it that somehow that means that he's good and that it won't come back to get him not knowing that later his integrity uh, will be lowered and he won't be able to hold a job and he won't be able to maintain a marriage. This is the young, this is the young lady who thinks that she can run around with any boy she wants to and she'll be fine only to find out later that she's uh, contracted some sort of disease that is taking away her quality of life and Possibly even ending her life. False sense of security. Letter E, we see they are liars. They are liars. Look back at verse 15 of Isaiah 28. The very end of the verse says, For we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood have we hid ourselves. Not only do they lie to others, but flat out they lie to themselves. They lie to themselves. The Pharisees knew that Jesus was God in John 3. But... By the end of the book, when they're him on the cross, they had convinced themselves that He was of the devil. Why? Because they had lied to themselves. Jesus flat out called them liars... We looked at this verse last Sunday night. You're in John seven. We'll flip over to John chapter eight and verse 44. We're done in Isaiah. John chapter eight and verse 44. John chapter eight verse 44. And if you weren't here last uh, uh, Sunday evening, then you, you uh, this will be uh, new material for you uh, as far as the church services lately. Jesus spoke very blunt and hard and firm. As I said, his relationship with the Pharisees was adversarial and hostile. Look at, look at this. Look at, look at how direct and piercing his words here. He says, ye are of your father the devil. What if I were to walk up to you and say, you're of your father the devil? How many of you be offended? <laughs> i got one person raising their hand. At least we've got someone that's honest in the room. Um, look at that. And the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. And abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. That's speaking of the devil. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. A scorner is a very good liar. Very good liar. Um, a scorner will lie to the place where he doesn't even know he's lying anymore. It's just second second habit. It, it just second, rather second nature. Just Flows right from his mouth. It, 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 it becomes him. It's who he is. He is a liar. Many of these people are sociopaths. They've lied so much that they can lie and their heart pressure doesn't change. Or rather their heartbeat doesn't change. Their blood pressure doesn't change, doesn't move. Their adrenaline doesn't move. They can just lie right through their teeth. Scorners. Scorners. Number two, we see the criticism of the scorner. Isaiah 28, 14, and 15 completely described the Pharisees. And I believe it was prophetic of that crowd that would persecute and ultimately see Jesus killed. But what about their criticism? They love to criticize us, don't they? Look at John chapter 8, verse 48. The Bible says, Then answered the Jews and said unto him, that Jews being the Pharisees, say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? So they throw a racial slur at him by calling him a Samaritan. and Then they tell him he's demon possessed. They're telling Jesus that he's demon possessed. Look at there. Jesus, verse 49, Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my Father, and ye do dishonor me. And I seek not mine own glory. There is one that seeketh and judgeth. Verily, verily, I say unto you, If a man keep my sayings, he shall never die. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead in the prophets, and thou sayest, If I, a man keep my sayings, he shall not taste of death. You know what the Pharisees were doing? They were looking at the Messiah, the Christ, God on earth, and they were calling Him the devil. The devil. You know what I call that? I call that calling good evil. And evil good. Kind of reminds you of a verse, doesn't it? Isaiah 5.20 Woe unto them to call evil good and good evil. That put darkness for light and light for darkness. That put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You know what the scorners love to do? They love to look at what's right. And they love to call it wrong. How is it that in our country, people that stand up for a child in the womb are looked down upon for taking away the rights of women? You know what that's called? That's called calling good evil. Those same people will kill a child in the womb. That's called calling evil good. Tonight, I would encourage everybody, everybody to be here tonight. Tonight, I'm going to preach a sermon about hands that shed innocent blood. I've worked very hard on the sermon this week. And the more that I have dug and studied, the more God has broken my heart. Angela can attest that more than once this week, I have laid in bed and cried myself to sleep. The greatest sin that America has ever committed is the sin of abortion. Doctors daily slay thousands of babies. I don't want to get preaching my sermon yet. But it is going to be an impassioned plea to do something about it. I'll just say this. The decision in 1973, Roe v. Wade, the liberal left-leaning people that wanted to push abortion rights murder rights in our country, they found a woman and they ran with her case. The lady who was behind the the lady the last name of Roe, her name was actually changed to to protect her. But the lady behind the Roe part of the way that saw the abortion being legalized later got saved. And later tried to go back to the Supreme Court and undo what had been done, how she had been used. I know there are people that attend this church or that are watching online that have had an abortion. And I can tell you that that sin is forgiven like any other sin is. But we've got to do something about a land that calls good evil and evil good. I have no doubt everyone in this room is against abortion. No doubt. But I think what happens is we grow apathetic toward it. Because it's been here since 1973. We shrug our shoulders. We have an a, a, and it, it is what it is attitude. And you may not be bold enough to say that, but if you're not actively fighting against abortion in some way, then you do have an is, it is what it is attitude. And I'll raise my hand first and say I'm guilty of that. But I won't be anymore. I won't be anymore. How about the um, how about the lesbian, gay crowd, transgender, all that stuff? If you were to stop the average Joe in Walmart, again we're talking about the criticism, the scorner. You stop the average Joe in Walmart, and you were to say to him, "How do Christians feel about gay people, homosexuals?" You know what the average Joe would tell you all: oh, Christians hate them. Christians hate them; can't stand them. They make fun of them, they belittle them, they can't stand them. (laughs) Last time I checked my Bible, it says, love your enemies, love your neighbor. In fact, I can't find anywhere in the Bible where God tells me to hate someone based on their sexual orientation. Not one place. The truth is, if if a lesbian couple holding hands walked through that back door right now and sat in one of these pews, I would love on them the way I would anybody else. And the truth is, I and I, I would hope we, are more tolerant toward them than they are toward us. It's funny that that crowd cries intolerance when they themselves are intolerant toward Christians. You know why? Because we live in a day that calls good evil and calls evil good. Some time ago, the Bible and prayer were thrown out of the public schools. People hailed that decision. Yes, religion is not going to be forced on anybody. I would say that's labeling evil good and good evil. Today, if you wait until your wedding day uh, to give away your virginity to your spouse, your label looked upon as weird and strange and odd, and I would say that that is labeling good evil and calling evil good. The criticism of the scorner. They love to nitpick and find any and every hypocrisy they can in us. And I would say this, don't give them any ammunition. Don't give them any ammunition. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't say one thing out here and let them catch you doing something else because you are doing that other thing. There may be some level of hypocrisy in all of this, but you want to fight it and fight it and fight it and fight it and so that your character and your reputation land on the same level. Not that you appear to be something that you're not. The criticism of the scorner Listen, they love to pick your Bible apart. They love to to, to call you names. They'll love to put you down. How are you to handle that? Notice number three, the chastisement of the scorner. The chastisement of the scorner. Jesus lightly rebukes the Pharisees in John 7 and John 8. But how about Matthew 23? Can you turn over there with me really quick? Some of you may be familiar with the passage. Just turn over there anyway. I want us to kind of see this together for sake of emphasis. Matthew chapter twenty-three and verse thirteen. Jesus here—he's had enough to do. He's he's up. He's had enough with the Pharisees. He is done with the Pharisees, and he begins the passage by addressing um, uh, the crowds there—not the Pharisees, but just the crowds as a whole. And I believe that the Pharisees must have walked up. While he's talking this way. And he's warning the people against the Pharisees. And while he's warning the people against the Pharisees, it would appear that the Pharisees walked up into the back of the crowd and caught Jesus telling the people not to follow the Pharisees. What did Jesus do? Did he cower away? Did he back down? No, he turned up the heat. Look at verse 13. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Look at verse 14. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 15. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 16. Woe unto you, ye blind guides. Verse 17. Ye fools and blind. Verse 18, or rather, verse 19. Ye fools and blind. He's not backing down. Uh, uh, Look down at verse number 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, Hypocrites, verse twenty four. Ye blind guides which strain into that and swallow a camel. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisees. Verse twenty seven. woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites. Verse twenty uh, verse thirty three. Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, can ye escape the damnation of hell? Woo! I would say he didn't back down. I would say he chastised him. Boy, he hammered him hard. He he wasn't he wasn't going to take it coming from him. Now, uh, Proverbs chapter nineteen verse twenty five gives us the same instructions here: "Smite a scorner, and the simple shall beware. Smite a scorner, and the simple shall beware. And reprove one that hath understanding, and he will understand knowledge." Now, let me first tell you what I'm not telling you to do. Okay, if you're sitting in your cubicle at work. And the guy next to you starts being a scorner. Do not get in his face and start calling him a a hypocrite and a viper and a serpent. All right, you're not Jesus. But but if that guy at work wants to attack your faith, you don't back down. You don't back down. Ten percent, ten percent of people are over here. They're trying to lead the world to do what's right. Then you got another ten percent way over here, they're part of the forces of evil and they're leading the world to do what's wrong. They are aggressive about leading people to do wrong and the 10% on the other end are aggressive about leading people to do what's right. In the middle, you have the masses. These are the followers. This is the 80%. You're over here, hopefully, trying to lead people to do what's right, and some scorner over here at your job or a family reunion, uh, or, or some other event, uh, maybe in your neighborhood, homeowners associating me, whatever it might be, he stands up and he rebukes you for trying to do what's right. You know what a lot of Christians do? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, uh, 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 well, let's, let's not, let's not argue. Let's not talk religion. I don't want to, I don't want to create any problems. Now, I'm not telling you to go pick a fight. But I'm telling you not to run from one either. And by the way, I'm not telling you to be mean and nasty. The Bible says, let not your good be evil spoken of. But don't you cower down and pretend like pretend like uh, uh, you're throwing in uh, the towel on your religion and that you don't care, your faith. When you When you throw in the towel and quit, what are the people here supposed to do? Oh, okay. Well, he must be right. And they take another step this direction. You be wise as a serpent. You be harmless as a dove. When a wise as a serpent, that means you're capable of biting. That means you're capable of striking. But you be harmless as a dove. Harmless as a dove. Stand for what's right. You know, the only thing that needs to be for evil to uh, exist in the world is for good men to keep silent. Right? Good men to do nothing i got to say, I'm I'm tired of doing nothing. And I'm tired of watching Christians do nothing. It's time to stand up for what's right. The chastisement of the scorner. Jesus, boy, He rebuked the Pharisees. What happened as a result? Number four, we see the call to the confused. Will you look back at John chapter 7 with me? Look, look at me at verse number 28. It says there, Then cried Jesus in the temple as He taught, saying, Ye both know Me, and ye know whence I am. And I am not come of Myself, but He that sent Me is true, whom ye know not. But I know Him, and I am from Him, and He hath sent Me. Now, we're going to come back and look at verse 30 and 31 in a minute. But I want you to see Jesus called the confused here. Look down to verse 37. This is that 80% in the middle. In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This is the same plea He gave to the woman at the well. Drink of me. Now, don't come actually drink of me, but drink of the truth that I am providing, the living water. So Jesus rebukes the Pharisees, In verse 28 and 29, look what happens as a result. Oh, I bet people ran and hid under the rocks and they were scared. No, no, no. Look at verse 30. Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him, because his hour was not yet come. And many of the people believed on him and said, when Christ cometh, will He do more miracles than these which this man hath done? They heard His rebuke of the Pharisees, and it pushed them to be drawn to Him. They said, hey, someone stood up against evil. I want to follow that guy. I believe in what he's saying. I believe in the message He's delivering. And what we need today in this world of people, not to be mean and nasty and unkind, especially not to anyone other than a scorner, but to stand up for what's right. Right? Look at John chapter 8. Look at John chapter 8 verse 27. Here we find another account of Jesus having an adversarial conversation with the scorners. The Bible says there, They understood not that He spake to them of the Father. Then said Jesus unto them, When When ye have lifted up the Son of Man. Clearly He's talking to the Pharisees here. When all of you have put me on a cross, have lifted up the Son of Man. Then shall ye know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And He that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please Him. Jesus put His finger in the face of the Pharisees, and He says, when you lift me up, when you crucify me, then you'll realize who I am. Oh, I bet everybody ran away scared, right? I bet everyone was like, "Woo!" I don't want to be near that guy. He just reprimanded the scorners. Look at verse 30. And he spake these words. Many believed on him. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Many, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my words, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Oh, that verse that's quoted all the time. What is the truth? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus was willing to stand up to the forces of darkness and say, No. Uh-uh. You can call me whatever you want. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. And I'm not backing down. And the people in the middle said, I'm going to believe. I've got to say this. I believe there were levels of scorners. I believe there were scorners who, uh, like the chief priests and others who were leading the charge of having Jesus crucified, there were some people who were scorners, but less of a scorner, and as Jesus preached and taught, they were pulled away from the ranks of the scorners, and they did end up believing in Jesus. you take a stand for what's right, people will respect you. You know, nobody respects someone who's not willing to stand up for what's right. You say, but pastor, it's hard. My heart races. I'm nervous. I don't know what to say. Stand for Jesus. Don't be ashamed. Stand for Jesus. Claim His name. For He loved you on a rugged cross with arms out open wide. Stand for Jesus. He's standing by your side. If you're here today, or you're watching online and you don't know, you don't know the gift of salvation. You've not received it. You have been relying on yourself or something other than just the blood of Jesus Christ to wash away your sins. My friend, today is your day of salvation. Jesus' message was the same to everyone He preached. Believe on Me. Believe on me. What about Jesus can we believe? Well, He was God sent to earth, wrapped in flesh. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross and became every one of the sins you've committed. And in His death, He took your sins away. And in His resurrection, He bought for you the gift of everlasting life. And it's free to you. You cannot pay for it. You cannot earn it. All you can do is gladly accept it. That's it. Loudly accept it. You say, Pastor Lejeune, how do I accept it? You just simply extend your hands of faith and say, Dear Lord Jesus, with all my heart, I believe that you died for me. I believe that my sin has separated me from you. And I believe your blood can wash those sins away. I believe that you can give me eternal life. I hope you'll do that today if you haven't. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed.